Amen. Well, please uh, take your Bible and open to Luke chapter 2. Put your finger in Luke chapter 2 and then in Luke chapter 4. This morning, we're continuing our new sermon series for the fall entitled Foundations of Faith. Now, the point of this series, as I said last week, and I'll remind you throughout because if nothing else, we will learn by repetition or um, when all of you can repeat to me what these things are about, we'll move on, okay? So the, import, the point of this series is to remind us all, especially our children, our youth, our parents, all of us, the, the importance of regular spiritual habits in our lives, that all of us have to have spiritual disciplines in our lives. And so here is the definition, a simple definition of spiritual habits or spiritual disciplines. I've taken this from Donald Whitney's book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And this is it. I used it last week. Spiritual disciplines are those practices found in Scripture. So they're tied to, we see, them, we see the examples of these in Scriptures. So they are the disciplines, the practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus. Now, as I said before, those spiritual disciplines we see throughout the Scriptures are Bible reading, Bible study, Bible intake, prayer, worship, evangelism, serving, stewardship, fasting, silence, and learning. Now, there are others, but those are the ones that I'm going to focus on. And it's critical as we begin this that, I, that we don't just think about this as a checklist of things we have to do. That's not the point. The foundation of our faith is Christ Jesus himself. He is the chief cornerstone of our faith, the head of the body, the church, and our job, our command, is to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ so that we can be presented before Him fully mature and complete. So what we do is we build our lives on the foundation of Jesus and we engage in the same activities that we see Jesus engaging in. So again, Jesus didn't simply come to save us from our sins, which He did though, he came and lived the way that we are called to live. So Jesus shows us what it's like to live a whole life, a life that is joy-filled, spirit-empowered, in love and fellowship with the Father. That's the goal. I want to be joy-filled, spirit, I want to be joy-filled, spirit-filled, and living in a relationship with God the Father in the same way that we see exemplified in Jesus. So what we see in Jesus' life is that he practiced certain spiritual habits and disciplines each day that, that, that he modeled that for us, and we are to follow in that model. So, we're not simply called to believe in what Jesus has done, though that is essential. We are called to live as Jesus lived in his relationship to the Father and others. So that's what we're trying to do. So what we're going to look at this morning is, uh, is basically the story of Jesus' early life and him beginning his ministry. So look at Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. This is going to give some of our preteens a glimpse into what Jesus looked like as a, young, as a young child. So look here in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. It says, Now his parents, that's Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. 
And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, um, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Um, and he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Now skip over to chapter 4. Chapter 4. This is some... 20 years later-ish, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, this is after his baptism, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in one moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from there, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will, not be, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went throughout all the surrounding countries, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. Connect all that together in your mind. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he, took up, he stood up and read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the gospel, the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering the sight of the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. I want to preach a very simple message. I hope it's not long. But what I want us to do today is I want us to look at Jesus' life through these texts. And I want us to see how Jesus learned, grew, and saw himself in light of God's word. Okay, because we're talking about spiritual disciplines. We want to model what we see in Jesus' life. And so pay attention. I have six truths that I want to pull out. Number one, 
Notice first that Jesus' parents taught him the importance of spiritual habits. Jesus' parents taught him the importance of spiritual habits. Turn back to chapter 2 and look at verses 41 and 42. Look what it says there. It says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. I just want to point out here that Jesus grew up in a typical Jewish home. His parents modeled normal Jewish spiritual habits for him that were outlined in the Old Testament. So we can safely say that every day they would have read the scriptures in Jesus' home. Every day they would have quoted the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Deuteronomy 6 goes on to say that every Jewish home were to take those words, put them into their heart, write them on the doorposts of their home, recite them daily, and speak about them when they walked along the way, when they got up in the morning, and when they laid down at night. So Jesus would have grown up hearing Joseph and Mary read God's word and pray with their children. He also would have attended the synagogue weekly. Every Sabbath, he would have went to the local synagogue in Nazareth where he would have also heard rabbinical teaching and would have sang songs, the Psalms, and would have recited prayers in, um, in weekly attendance with his family. We also notice here in the text that not only did they have daily habits, they had weekly habits, but they had yearly habits. Every year, they, would, they took a, prim, a pilgrimage from Nazareth and Galilee down to Jerusalem for Passover week, which is the highest and holiest celebration out of all the Jewish calendar. We can also safely assume that he celebrated the other feasts, and his parents taught him and developed his, his understanding of these in light of the Messianic hope of Israel. So Jesus' parents taught him the importance of regular spiritual habits. Daily, weekly, yearly habits. Celebrating what God had done in the history of Israel. And I want to say here this morning that Christian parents today have the same responsibilities towards their children. That you have the responsibility to raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. A Christian home should be the same as those typical Jewish homes where parents model and teach the importance of regular spiritual habits. It's important. Your, parent, your children learn this from their parents. Now, the story continues in Luke 2 and verses 43 and 45 where Jesus learned something else from his parents. He learned that if he didn't get his butt in the wagon, they would leave him. Y'all, that's funny. What is wrong with you? Jesus is left in Jerusalem as his parents get on the wagon to head back to Nazareth. Now obviously, for those of you who don't know, Jesus didn't have a phone where they could pull up, find my phone, and see that he was back in Jerusalem at the temple. No, 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 no. They're searching among the caravan, trying to find him, assuming he's playing with the other boys and girls, his cousins, from Nazareth. And no, they look for four days. They don't find Jesus. They go back to Jerusalem and look, and they find him in the temple. And that's where we learn the second thing. We learned here that Jesus also sought to know and understand the Scriptures himself. It wasn't just that his parents taught him, and he had daily regular habits. Jesus himself sought to know and understand the Scriptures himself. 
this was not only something he was taught, but something that was deeply personal to him that he wanted to know what the Bible says. It says in verse 46, After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. This shows you the kind of student Jesus was. He was asking hard questions of those that should know. His parents were probably like, well, I'm glad he's talking to the rabbi because he's asked Joseph that 35 times. And Joseph is like, Jesus, I don't know. I don't know. Okay? So Jesus had a deep desire to know and understand God's word. He's in the temple asking questions. And I want to say this for our kids and students. Um, children, now parents, this is where you'll get mad at me, but that's okay. You can forgive me later. Kids, students, do you know what will make somebody a better teacher? Do you know what makes somebody a better parent? Ask them hard questions. Ask them hard questions. Don't be scared. My kids ask me hard questions all the time. Now, they've learned not to because I'll lecture them for an hour. I'll get on the whiteboard in our home and I'll say, let me show you how all this works together. I even got made of yesterday for having a teachable moment with one of their friends. She's embarrassed, but it's true. Um, you have to want to learn. You have to want to grow. And so, if you want to be a better teacher, ask hard questions. If you have if kids, if you want your parents to, to understand things better, ask them hard questions. Because my, the issue here, here is we have to be inquisitive to learn and grow. Listen, it is not enough to come in here and listen to me speak for 25 minutes a week. That's a joke, right? 25 minutes again? Y'all are off of it today. 25 minutes, it's not enough. You have to learn. You have to have a desire to know and grow in your faith. And that's what Jesus models for us. Jesus was at the temple asking hard questions. He sought to know and understand the scriptures himself, not simply what his parents taught them. And that's my point to you as, as parishioners here at this church. Don't just take what I say. You need to read this book and go, is what, Jesus, is what Jacob's saying what's coming out of this book? That's what matters. Number three, notice also what we can learn from this text is that Jesus grew in wisdom and understanding through his spiritual disciplines. He was inquisitive. He sought to learn and grow, but he actually did. Jesus did grow in wisdom and understanding through his spiritual disciplines. Look there at verse 52 and pay attention to this thing. This, this might scare some of you, what it says here in verse 52. Luke says here, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Jesus, the 12-year-old boy, grow at the temple studying and learning with his parents, asking questions. Luke tells us that Jesus did increase in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Now hear me. Jesus is, you have to know this, Jesus is a real human being. He was really flesh and blood. He really was like us in every way. So Jesus grew and learned and developed. He did not know as a human being everything there was to know. We're like, well, Jacob, he's the son of God. Yes, he's also the son of Mary. He is fully God and fully man, and he operates as a human being. He grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So he had to be like us in every way aside from sin to identify with us, to show us how to live. So Jesus studied and he learned and grew. And if he did, if Jesus learned spiritual habits 
And he practiced them so that he would grow in wisdom and stature and favor. And you better believe it's important in us. Because Jesus learned spiritual habits the same way we learn spiritual habits. He learned them and grew in them. He wasn't born knowing everything there was to know. Does that, does that sit uneasy with you? He's a human being. Of course he's the son of God. As the son of God, he knows everything. But he's also a full human being operating as a growing, developing human life. Number four. We also learn here that Jesus was committed to obeying God's word. When we skip over to chapter four and we look there at the temptations of Jesus. Jesus has just been baptized in the river Jordan where the, where the, where the spirit descended upon him like a dove. And the audible voice of the father says... This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus, after that confirmation is placed on him, he goes into the desert to be tempted, into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. And what does the, temp, what does the tempter come to actually challenge Jesus on? If you're really the son of God. Well, Jesus is like, Did, were you not at my baptism? Did you not just hear what the father said? I am the son of God. Um, that's what, that's, what the, that's what he just said, this is my beloved son. And he says, if you really are the son of God, then turn, if you're hungry, you've been fasted for 40 days, you're hungry, you're a human being, you're very hungry, then turn the stones to bread. And how does Jesus respond? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then he shows them all the cities of the world and says, I'll, I'll give you everything you see. If you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Well, throw yourself off the temple because the Bible also says that he'll guard you and not let your foot strike a stone. And Jesus says, ah, you're wrong. You're wrong. The Bible says you should not put the Lord your God to the test. So here's my question. Jesus responds to his temptation by quoting the scriptures. How did Jesus know these scriptures? How did he know them? He read them, he studied them, he learned them the same way we read them, study them, and learn them. But Jesus also sought to put them into practice. It wasn't just that he read God's word, it enveloped him and he obeyed it. So how do we know, this is the question, how did Jesus know how to respond to the temptations facing him? And Luke's answer is twofold. He was full of the Spirit, and he was full of God's Word. What does he say there at the beginning of chapter 4? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, goes back, to, uh, goes into the desert. He's full of the Spirit from the baptism. He's full of the Spirit, and now he's full of God's Word. Those things go together. I want you to know that. This is how we are to respond to temptation in our lives. We have to be committed to obeying the Word of God. David writes in Psalm 119, How can a young man keep his way pure? It's a great question. How can a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed according to your word. Then he goes on to say, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's Jesus. Jesus has literally hidden God's word in his heart that he might not sin against God. Job says in Job 31, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully on a young woman. That's filling our life with God's word so that when we face temptation, we can live like Jesus lived. This is a regular spiritual habit. 
That's the point. My, my, my question is, when temptation comes into your life, do you have the ammunition to fight it off? Have you done the spiritual discipline and put in the work enough to hide God's word in your heart so when the attack comes, you are not standing on your own power, but you're standing on the power of God's spirit and the power of his word? That is a spiritual habit and discipline that has to be present in our lives. Jesus was committed to obeying God's word. Number five, Jesus was also committed to sharing what he had learned with others. He was committed to sharing what he had learned and treasured with others. Look there at verses 14 and 15 of chapter 4. He says, And Jesus returned after his temptation. He returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. So Luke is all over this. He says, He returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now notice how precise Luke is. He wants us to know again, Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit and God's Word as he begins his public teaching ministry. This should be our daily desire as well. We should be soaked in God's Word, filled with His Spirit, so that, when, so that what happens in our lives, in our daily interactions, is that the Word of God pours out of us. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, if you ever read Pilgrim's Progress, it is chock full with God's Word. It's almost like reading the Bible in a different form. And Charles Spurgeon's favorite book besides the Bible was Pilgrim's Progress. And Spurgeon famously said that if you prick Bunyan, he'll bleed Bible. That's what comes out of him. He has so saturated his life with the Bible that if you prick him, what comes out of him is Bible. Not blood. Bible comes out of him. And that should be the same for us. We should be so filled with God's word and God's God's Word and God's Spirit, that this naturally flows out of us. Because here's the point. This is why we need the regular spiritual habit of Bible study. You cannot share what you do not have. Just think about it. You cannot share what you do not have and you do not know. I am not free. And my children will say, Amen. I'm not free to share with you the finer points of thermodynamics. I'm not free. You know why? I don't know a thing about it. I'm not a physicist. I'm not free to share what I do not have and do not know. That's the point. No, and here's the thing. Let me say it both ways. You cannot share what you do not have and what you do not know, but also on the other side, knowing it and refusing to share it is just as bad. Knowing God's word and then refusing to share the hope that you have is just as bad as not knowing it in the beginning. You're accountable for both. Jesus was committed to sharing what he had learned with others. And finally, Jesus was committed to fulfilling God's will for his life. Do you notice as he begins his ministry in verses 16 through 22, he goes back to the synagogue as was his custom. So how did Jesus have a custom of going to the synagogue in Nazareth? He had grown up going to the synagogue every Sabbath as, as a boy in Nazareth. This was Jesus' regular habit. He continued the custom he had learned from a young age to gather with God's people for worship and spiritual nourishment. So that was Jesus' custom, as it should be ours as well. And also, notice this. Notice this is critical. Notice that when Jesus picks up this scroll and reads from Isaiah and finds this specific place, Jesus is intentionally finding this place in Isaiah because he knows where it is. He's finding this place because he, Jesus understands who he is, and how he's going to live in relationship 
to God's Word and God's Spirit. Notice what it says there. What does Jesus quote from Isaiah? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has appointed me to preach the gospel. Jesus knows who He is. He says to them, this day this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We cannot know God's will apart from God's Word. We must know it and be committed to doing it. It's not complicated. Let me, let me make this as simple as possible for all of us that are in this room. It's not simple. What has God required of me? What, what, is the, what, what, is my, what, what is the standard by which I'm to live? Let me make it very simple. God has called us to love Him first and foremost. Love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love God. He's commanded us to love people. He's commanded us to love your neighbor as yourself. To do all things for the good of other people. He's also called us to live like Jesus lived. By the way, how did Jesus live? Loving God and loving people. So walking in God's will, walking like Jesus, being holy, being obedient, being filled with the Spirit, filled with joy, walking in relationship to the Father. Love God, love people, live like Jesus, and make disciples. That's it. You, you must know God's will and be committed to fulfilling God's will for your life. You have to know it. Now let me conclude this way. Jesus knew who He was by studying God's Word and growing up. He, he knew He was the Son of God, the Messiah, who was sent to rescue and redeem ruined sinners. He knew that he, he had to live by the Spirit and walk in God's Word so that He could fulfill the Father's plan of dying in the place of sinners. Jesus knew He would fulfill the Old Testament promises prophecies and promises that were listed in places like Isaiah like Isaiah 53 he had just quoted from Isaiah here in Luke and now Jesus knew he had read this when Isaiah wrote he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And his, with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus knew growing up as he read and studied and availed himself to God's word and was filled with God's spirit that he had a mission. And that mission was to come and die in the place of ruined sinners like me and you. He lived the life that we couldn't live but should have lived and died the death we deserved. Jesus knew who he was in light of God's word. My question for you this morning is, first, if, if you're not a believer, then you need to know that this young boy that grew up understanding who he was died on the cross for you. Not because you deserved it, but all because of his sheer mercy and grace. And Jesus offers forgiveness full and free to all who come to him. That if you've never, if you've never known the peace of having your sins forgiven, if you've never known what it's like to turn from your sins and embrace Jesus as Lord and to know the peace that transcends all understanding, to know that your sins are forgiven and you have a future hope 
in Christ's presence forever, then we invite you to come to this Jesus. And if you are a believer, then I'm just asking you, are you living like Jesus lived? Do you have the same commitments that he had? Are you growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men? Are you regularly studying God's word and saturating your soul and strengthening your heart against temptation and living God's will? And are you committed to being who God has called you to be? Because if you've cut yourself off from those spiritual disciplines, then you've cut yourself off from joy, walking in the fullness of the Spirit, being conformed daily to Christ, and walking in a fruitful relationship with the Father. So maybe you need to make that commitment. And then lastly, if you don't have a church home, then we invite you to be a part of this one. We're not a perfect church. There is not, there's no such thing as one. But we serve a perfect Savior who is willing to bear with us in all of our infirmities and weaknesses and who is good. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask now that you would be with us during this time, short time of invitation. And Father, I pray especially, Lord, if there's someone here who does not know Jesus, that today would be the day that they give their heart to Christ. Father, speak now as we sing. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.